What's going on, guys? Welcome back to another episode of The Real Impact. I'm your host, Austin Rice. We got a good one lined up with you guys today, Mr. Corey Reed. So let's get in it. Corey, what's going on, man? What's going on? All right. So for those that don't know you, man, go ahead and just do a, a brief intro. Kind of tell us a little bit about who you are and, and what you're doing now, and then we'll we'll kind of go from, from there. Yeah, man. So uh, for those of you guys who don't know me, my name is Corey Reed. Um, I actually am a real estate investor slash just entrepreneur uh, at this point. So actually founded um, one of the largest, probably the largest wholesaling company in, in New Jersey, um, the Moirai Group that has since spun off into Moirai Capital, where we buy multifamily, mobile home and RV parks. We've acquired uh, since 2020, uh, just shy of 200 million assets under management. And uh, also, as you guys can see behind me here, um, recent software product that we've brought to market, Skip Cloud, uh, number one cloud-based skip tracing platform in America. So that is uh, sort of a little bit about uh, about me. Brief little excerpt, yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, I like it, man. So let's kind of go back to the start, right? So when did you get started with wholesaling? So I started researching what wholesaling and flipping and these things were probably back in end of 2016. Um, and then basically took an entire year of trying to get my foot in the door there. Uh, 2017, pretty much that whole year just spent like researching and trying to figure out, uh, you know, what to do. Uh, mm -hmm. and then actually pulled the trigger in wholesaling in 2018 started uh, like really going after it 2018 and got the first deal in April uh, of 2018, actually. Nice. Okay. So you spent a whole year like trying to figure it out. So that's not common. So like what, what was that like process? Like, was it, where did you have another job? Were you kind of like in that like analysis paralysis stage? Like what, what was going on there? Yeah, man. So my backstory is, is uh, for anybody who's heard, is, is a kind of a crazy one. Uh, I was living out in L.A. at the time. I was in uh, strength conditioning. I was I was interning for um, for USC, uh, okay. for the, the USC football team. And one day my business part, my, my now business partner, who was my roommate then, um, he actually was like, man, we should start a company. And I was like, well, what, what would we do? You know, I don't know anything <laughs> about starting any companies, you know, uh, yeah. he was like, oh, we should do something in real estate. Cause I think he had met some people that, you know, had done pretty well for themselves in, in real estate. And so I don't know what it was about that, but it just really like, uh, stuck with me. And so now I'm like, you know, I'm on bigger pockets. I'm, you know, I'm doing, I'm trying to research this and, and all of a sudden, uh, and I'm not doing well for myself, right? Like at this point in time, you know, I'm, I'm, like I said, I'm an intern, and get an unpaid intern at that. Say paid or unpaid, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm an unpaid intern. I'm like, yeah. you know, basically trying to do some personal training on the side, you know, to, to make ends meet. And I'm living in LA, which is not, you know, an expensive place. place. Yeah, my basically my roommate was pretty much giving me a free place to to live at that point. And um, so 
as I kind of go down this path, well, start to research this stuff and figure out that Southern California might not be the best place to flip and wholesale, you know, just starting out. That's what all signals online are telling me. And so mm-hmm. I start to look at where are some places that are. And Philadelphia is one of the places that I come across. And I'm like, well, that's actually not too far away from like where I'm originally from, which is in New York. Uh, and my aunt lives just outside of Philly. So I hit up my aunt and I was like, hey, if I move back to the East Coast to start this company, can I live with you for a little bit, you know, like while I like get this thing off the ground? Yeah. So she's like, OK. So I, I go back and I live with her. Uh, she's pregnant at the time. Long story short, man, it just turns into a nightmare. You know, I'm trying, I'm like literally like walking the streets of Philly, like trying to, you know, on a spreadsheet, trying to fill out, you know, what are the distressed properties? I'm like filling out every address in the whole city. You're walking for dollars. Uh, Yeah, I'm walking for dollars, man. (laughs) And it's just like, I I basically like am overwhelmed. And I don't even know where to start because all the stuff you hear online is like, there are people in more rural areas i feel like that you know you see that one house in the neighborhood which has some distress and and that's like the one you put on your list where i was at in philly i mean every house was like a tear down at this point you know so i don't even know where to begin and it really gets to the point where it's overwhelming for me and i run out of money uh i had to leave my aunt's house she was having a baby i'm living in a hostel in inner city philadelphia just not a not two nickels to rub together and so at this point, I'm like, I got to I got to get I got to secure a job and get some income coming mm-hmm. in. So I wind up securing a job, ironically, with CoStar, uh, which for those of you guys who don't know and, and uh, the viewers, CoStar is the largest supplier of commercial real estate data worldwide. They own sites like LoopNet, Apartments.com, some subsidiary mm-hmm. websites like that. So of all the, the places for me to get a job, I get a job right. at CoStar and um that was sort of like my foot in the door to real estate. I was able to actually start securing, you know, some level of income and then working. I, I didn't drop this company and I still wanted to make this work. So I was working on this, you know, in the mornings before work, after work, I'm just grinding, you know, trying to figure this whole, you know, wholesaling thing out. And so uh, for pretty much the, the better part of 2017, I was just still just researching, you know, bigger pockets. I'm hitting people up. I'm, trying to build a buyer's list, you know, mm-hmm. before I even start marketing, I'm, I'm doing all these things like preemptively to launch marketing and get this wholesale company off the ground. And the wholesale company almost failed on a number of occasions. Uh, my business partner was the only one who had any money. So he put the, the money behind the marketing campaign to start out. And we spent like seven or $8,000 he did to, for us to get our first deal, which was a, a nightmare of a deal. We made 10,000 bucks on it. And, um, and, you know, we basically like put all that money back into marketing, but we were pretty much right where we left off. And we were on the verge of running out of money uh, right before we sort of struck gold and we got three deals, which we um, across those three deals probably made about $40,000. And then, um, that was really what we used to get, kind of continue and, and ramp up the, the company. But it was it was a long road for me to like a long runway to actually get started and get the first right. deal. And then it was a bumpy, definitely a bumpy start uh, with some some challenges along the way. But the moral of the story there and what people should take away from that is really just the commitment and the perseverance. It's like, you know, if you want mm-hmm. something, just dedicate yourself to it. Don't move on to the next thing too quickly. Uh, you know, and you continue to persevere and eventually, uh, you know, you get what you want. 
Yeah, no, I think that's super important too, man. Cause I think, uh, you know, even, even outside of wholesaling, it's super easy to just, you know, feel really down and, you know, have a little pity party for yourself. And, you know, not to say that you didn't at, at, at some points, right. Cause I've been yeah. there like those low points, like you definitely, you know, you, you, you get down on yourself. And I think as entrepreneurs, I think a lot of people don't realize that we're the hardest on ourselves. Yeah. You know, like you're going to always be your worst critic. And if somebody thinks we're not doing good, we think we're not, we're not doing good, like 10 times worse than they do. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's super important. So it takes you about a year to kind of get going. So then how did you guys kind of make that switch to, you know, you said you guys are the, you know, probably the largest, you know, wholesaling company up in New Jersey. So. Uh, what do you think it was that kind of made that switch for you guys? Uh, to be honest with you, what allowed us to scale was that one, we didn't just go blow all the money that we were making. We, we invested back into the company consistently. So doing more marketing, um, building out a team, building out systems and processes. I mean, we treated it like a real business from, from day one. So even when we were, uh, you know, just getting started, we had nothing I was treating this thing like it was like a fortune 500 company. Um, right. So I'm, I'm not just trying to do what the gurus tell you to do. I'm trying to apply like big business principles to this. Mm -hmm. You know, what are, what are, uh, you know, what are the big businesses doing for, for email marketing? What are the big businesses doing to acquire customers? How do we, how does a big business treat their call center and how, what are the systems and processes that they have in place and what softwares are they using? And so, I think a lot of that was what allowed us to really scale this to the point that where we've got it now. In general, I think that wholesaling in and of itself has a, a pretty low ceiling in terms of how much money you can make. Because for one, one of the reasons people can make a lot of money as an entrepreneur and in business is that if you do well enough, there's generally someone that you can sell your business to at some point and you walk away with a pile of money. I don't know anyone out there who's selling a wholesaling business or where the buyer market is for that. Um, right. So that limits you. Right. And it, it, it should change your mindset. If you get into that business about how you treat it, a lot of people, they want to have a big team and a big office and, and, you know, they want to have this, this, this look and this appeal and they take home no money at the end of the day. And now you have a business that you don't make any money from that you can never sell. And you just have, a, a glorified job, you know, you probably right. make less than you would make, you know, just working a, a regular W2 job anyway. So I realized that from, from pretty early on in that business. And so I treated it like the business that it is. It's a, it's a great cash business and it's a great business to get a foothold into the real estate world and understand bigger uh, principles in business and real estate. And so we, kept it as a very high margin business for ourselves. So our team was always very sleek, very nimble. Uh, we try to maximize every dollar in marketing and we try to automate as much as humanly possible. So for the longest time, I mean, when we cleared our first million dollars in, uh, in wholesaling, it was just three people. It was just me and my two, my two business partners and you know, awesome. we single-handedly with three people were able to do a, a million dollar revenue year. And we kept the, the large bulk of that money. And so we've, we've done that to this day um, and continued to scale that business. And then now we've, uh, you know, got that business running kind of the way we want it to. Um, I want to pause right there it. real quick, though. Yeah, yeah. Before you, before you, I want you to keep going. But before you do that, like one thing to note, what you just said is huge. You guys cleared a million dollars with three people. Yeah. 
right? Like for everybody listening, everybody like that's, you know, looking to get into wholesaling or looking to try to like grow your team or grow your company, like let that sink in. You can hit a million dollars with three people. Yep. You don't have to have a, a massive, like there's nothing wrong with, you know, having the big teams and everything like that. But I think to your point, especially right now with, you know, kind of how everything's heading, like being able to be lean and mean and, you know, productive is super important. So I just wanted to highlight that real quick because I think that's that's a huge key right there. Yeah, man. It allows you to flourish in the good times and it allows you to, to stay nimble in the hard times, you know, so you can weather weather a storm. If I have a $100,000 a month payroll, you know, and things go south, that's a yeah. that's a tough nut to eat versus if I have, you know, a $20,000 a month payroll. So, yeah, definitely, uh, definitely things to consider, you know, when you when you just look at the business as a uh, as a whole, um, because with a wholesale business, again, or any business that you don't have the ability to sell or you don't want to sell it, what you take home and profit is the value of the business at that mm -hmm. point. If you're not profitable, then why are you even doing it? Um, yeah. I think as a wholesaling company, the only real exit for a wholesaling company would be to replace yourself as CEO. Sure. Right? I feel like that's the only real exit in a wholesaling yeah. company. Uh, which and I've been there and I've done it and it's, it's not as easy as, as you might think, you know, because right. the, the thing that allows you to uh, distance yourself in a company is having very high quality people and having different sets of layers between you and the job that has to be done. Right. And the way that you do that is your company has to make a lot of money so you can afford to have really good people and you can afford to have enough of them that you're never back to being the one who's, you know, managing or doing the work with a wholesaling company. It's difficult, right? Because the amount of money that you can make is, not as high as maybe some other ventures out there. It can be a very profitable venture, but the amount of sheer revenue that you can do is probably a lot less than some other businesses that are out there. So your ability to afford the most high quality people is going to be less. And um, the amount of staff that you can have that put barriers between you and, and actually doing the job is not as much as, as uh, you know, in other industries, other companies. So it can be challenging to not have to step back into that, uh, you know, step back into those seats and, and get drugged back into the, to the mix, uh, especially, you know, with wholesaling, there's a lot of different shit that can come up and fires and things <laughs> like that, that you deal with. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, that's all stuff to, to keep into mind. But I mean, it was just a great springboard for us to be able to step into some of these other uh, endeavors, you know, which are really the things that kind of, uh, take the most of our focus now um, is really like trying to grow the fund, these, these higher leverage, higher ceiling opportunities. Mm -hmm. So growing the fund, uh, building, you know, and scaling software companies, things like that is really, you know, kind of what this has led us to, but none of this would have been possible without kind of that entry into wholesaling and sort of understanding how to actually run a business and how to, right. you know, do certain things in real estate. Yeah, I think I think wholesaling is a good starting point in real estate. One for the simple fact of like it it teaches people how to put together a deal. Yeah. Right. Um, aside from just like the deal by deal, like things like that, it, it teaches you how to, you know, piece together a deal with a seller or you know whoever the front half of the party may be, and then it allows you to learn how to present the deal on the back end to a buyer. Um, and again, 
whether what other business that it could pertain to, right? Whoever that back end, you know, buyer may be. Yeah. Um, and then I think another thing too that you know kind of probably ties into what you guys have done as well um, is with wholesaling, you make a ton of connections. Yeah. Right. Like I'm sure probably because you guys have a fund now, right? Yeah. So I'm sure probably some of your buyers from your wholesaling company are probably LPs in your fund. Yeah. Sure. You know? Um, so let's kind of dive into that, right? So you guys started the wholesaling company back in 2017. Um, and then kind of walk us through that, right? When, when did you kind of realize, all right, there's a limit, there's a ceiling on wholesaling. Let's kind of jump into the fund world. So from day one, I knew I eventually wanted to have a fund. I didn't know how they worked, what they did, how to do one. Um, <laughs> but I knew that there was these companies like Blackstone and things like that out there that obviously uh, were insanely successful. And the founders made a ton of money. Um, so I knew what the concept of a fund and pooling money together to be able to leverage other people's money and buy assets. I just didn't know the inner workings of how to actually make something like that possible or even how to evaluate a commercial deal or what went into it. Um, so along the way in wholesaling, I was able to meet people that were in that world um, and then be able to leverage wholesaling to uh, kind of I guess, take away like uh, some, you know, some nuggets from these people as, as we went. Right. So I was able to mm -hmm. also, then you just, you had the money to be able to invest in mentorships and things like that, uh, you know, to get you started there. So that's kind of what that process looked like for us was we, we met people that were acquiring buildings and syndicating deals. And we were able to uh, befriend them and provide them value through what we were doing as, as wholesalers. We were either able to be LPs in their deals um, as a foot in the door, or we were able to, you know, go and, and try to help them source deals or source broker connections through our wholesale processes, uh, or just straight up flat out pay for, for mentorships because we were making good money, uh, wholesaling. And that's sort of how we got into the fund world. And then we started our first fund in 2020 and actually started acquiring assets and raising money. Um, and, it's just been going really well, man. We just capped off the third fund, um, like I said, and we've syndicated a couple of uh, a couple of random multifamily deals along the way as well. So, just shy of two hundred million uh, assets under management, and in, in just about uh, two years here. So, um, that's nice, sort of how nice, that's going. Nice running average there. Nice. Yeah. Averaging about a hundred million a year, it's not too bad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We gotta we gotta step up the pace, man. The goal yeah. is to get to the goal is to get to a billion AUM in the next three years. So we gotta bump it up a little bit. But I think we're headed into a time where there's gonna be a lot of opportunity. Um, right. And if you're in position to take advantage of it, you can make a lot of money. Yeah. No, I agree. So let's kind of let's unpack that a little bit. What are what are your thoughts with everything right now with how the market's heading and and um, the opportunity that is in front of us, honestly. Yeah. So um, as the Fed continues to hike rates and the economy continues to slow, um, I think it's going to create opportunity, uh, right? Because think about it, all the people that, that underwrote deals uh, in the last two to three years were probably not underwriting for, you know, seven, eight percent interest rates. Right. So when those notes come due, I think that's going to present a lot of opportunity because people are not going to be able to pull out, uh, you know, if they could pull out 
if they could just refinance the note period uh, I think that they'll be, I think those people will be good, but I think there's going to be a lot of people that just don't have the ability to, uh, to refinance the note and they're going to have to sell uh, and probably sell at a loss at that point. So um, that's where I see things kind of headed. I, I do think that the fed will continue to hike rates to uh, lower inflation. I think that they've mm -hmm. said that all along and they're, they're sticking to their word yeah, they're and they're guns. Yeah. Yeah. They're, they're not going to bend um, to, you know, uh, pressure to start to stimulate the economy again. I think they, they understand that they need to tamper inflation to get ourselves back to, a, a, and I think there's going to be a new uh, economic norm. Mm -hmm. So that's sort of where I see the, the economy going. I see the rates, you know, staying, they're going to continue to hike them to some point until we get sort of inflation back uh, coming in line. And then I think we'll start to see a, you know, a lowering of rates again. I don't think we're going to get back down to, uh, you know, 0% federal funds rate where we were, yeah. but I think that over the next probably year or two, um, you see rates kind of trend back down into the fours. But I do think that there's going to be, um, I, I think we're already seeing a slowdown. And I think mm -hmm. that as people uh, start to have these, these uh, uh, refinances come due, that you're going to see people in a, in a bit of a, a jam. And that's where I think you're going to start to see some of these deals uh, pop up. Yeah, no, I agree with you, man. That's one thing that I've said anytime somebody, you know, anytime I have a conversation about it, is I think we're just heading to a new normal. Yeah. You know, like I just, we're getting back to a new kind of just midline um, where the rates aren't going to be astronomically high, but they're not going to be astronomically low either. Sure. Yeah. So, I, like I agree. That. So with the uh, with the wholesaling company, are you guys because the, the big, you know, catchphrase key term right now, right, is nationwide. You know, you've got all mm -hmm. these nationwide wholesalers and stuff like that. So are you guys nationwide or are you guys more just a targeted demographic? We're not. We're actually we scaled back just into New Jersey. So we were in a couple of different markets at one point, um, and then we actually uh, consolidated back into just New Jersey. And here's the reason why we did that. For one, it is there are more variables and more difficulties and more things to consider the more geographical areas that you're in, right? Like mm -hmm. doing a deal in New Jersey is not the same as doing a deal in Atlanta. Is not the same as doing a deal in Southern California, right? Like you need to have separate teams in these markets. Uh, you're going to have to have some sort of boots on the ground component. I don't care how virtual you are. I mean, we're about as virtual as you could possibly be. And, and we, you know, we do 3D Matterport tours and that still requires you to have, you know, uh, some boots on the ground personnel. The buyer pools that you sell these deals to are different. How they evaluate the deals are different. Like a mm -hmm. deal in Atlanta is not necessarily going to be a deal in New Jersey in how right. they evaluate it. Right. Like, uh, and so it, it's, it's just a lot of variability across these different geographies, like how you pull the data, how you market to it. Uh, it's all very different. Right. So it requires a lot of, uh, time effort. Um, and it's just all things that I don't want to be doing into a wholesaling company where the ceiling is low. Right. Because if you think about it, I could marginally scale my wholesale business by going nationwide or going into all these markets. Maybe instead of doing four or $5 million a year, maybe now I'm doing six or seven. Okay. Right. 
But at the end of the day, if that's taking up all my extra time to be able to marginally scale the wholesale business, what if I took that extra time and I poured it into creating a software company or acquiring uh, another, you know, $200 million worth of real estate under the fund, I'm going to net net way more money than trying to continually pull out every, you know, every stone on the wholesale company. So that's why we decided that we wanted to just condense ourselves back into New Jersey, into our backyard, our home turf, really just dominate that market and make as much money as we can there where we can control all the different variables and, and right. keep the team. Like, I think that's how I'm also able to not have as much involvement as probably the majority of other people in a wholesale business, because I'm not in all these different areas where there's all these different things that I have to account for and all these different people that I have to be hiring. And, um, so that's sort of the direction that we took it and, and why we're just operating in New Jersey. And New, New Jersey is a, a unique market where it's such a small geographical area with so many people condensed into this small like geographical radius right. that you have buyers who are buying in South Jersey and the same guys buying in North Jersey. Whereas like in a different <laughs> market, you don't have that, right? Like no. you're not going to not, not like, so there's a lot of deal volume in a small area. Um, so really you can get to, you know, large numbers for a wholesale business rather than like, if you were just in Charlotte, maybe you could only do a million or 2 million a year where before you're kind of tapped out and you need to go into another market in New Jersey. I mean, we're capturing a fraction of the deal volume and we're doing, you know, four or 5 million bucks a year. Mm -hmm. So there's sort of like endless potential there. Um, I feel like to do, uh, big numbers um, in just one place if you can if you can do it right but there's a lot of barriers to entry in New Jersey yeah no I we're uh it's funny because uh, the market that we're in um, we're we're in like three different markets in Florida but the where we're based in is Jacksonville so we're the exact yeah. opposite of Jersey so yeah. we're a, a huge geographical radius and yeah. the population is all spread out throughout that <laughs> that radius because yeah. um, in Jacksonville you can literally drive an hour down the interstate and still be in the same County. Yeah. Insane. Uh, um, yeah, you drive down an hour down the interstate in New Jersey. You're like, you know, in like the bottom of the state. state. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's crazy. So, um, so now you guys have, you know, the wholesaling company, the fund or three, three new funds. Um, yep. and then you've got the software company. So what, what kind of made you make that, that pivot into the software with the skip tracing company? Yeah. So, I mean, originally we built the company just for our own needs. Um, mm -hmm. And then we had a number of different people that we're connected with that were constantly like wanting this and just saw a lot of flaws in the marketplace with what was already out there. And so that's kind of what caught, and we wanted to get our feet wet in the software uh, space anyways, mm -hmm. to actually know what it's like to build, um, you know, scale markets and, and, hopefully eventually one day sell a software based business. And so this was like a logical first step for us. So um, yeah, the company's called skip cloud. Uh, it's an amazing, um, amazing product, amazing build. It's a, it's a cloud based skip tracing software. So it's not like we're uh, a lot of these people out there will like warehouse data. They'll go buy it like one time from one right. place. And then like for the next 10 years, they're going to use that same data to try to consolidate costs. Uh, we're, we're live, um, 
like I said, cloud-based. So the, the data is, is upkept constantly and you're pulling the results down from the cloud instantly. So generally speaking, when people don't have that setup, again, they're having to give you these wait times, you know, oh, it's going to take a couple hours, 24 hours, 48 hours, and they'll email you back your data. With us, you're going on there, you're literally putting in your list, clicking a button and your results are being processed for you instantly. Um, so it's pretty neat, man. And it's been a, definitely a journey to build the product itself. And now right. to market this product is very different than marketing for a wholesale company or right. a fund, you know, trying to acquire real estate. Like, so now it's getting like very heavy into like digital marketing, retarget, like there's all these different things that we were just not accustomed to doing in the mm -hmm. wholesaling world. So it's making us much more knowledgeable and well-rounded in terms of you know, overall marketing strategy and just putting a different feather in our cap in terms of being able to build and market digital products. Now, how long did the development side of that take? Because I've I've been a part of it a couple different, you know, developments and things like that. They're not they're not normally uh, short. No, it, it wasn't. So I think we started building this in I want to say April of mm -hmm. this year and we launched uh, like middle of last month. So it was, a definitely a, a longer timeline for the development side of things. And, um, yeah, it's, uh, definitely some things we could have done differently, you know, in, in retrospect, but I think that's one of the things that's, uh, you know, just kind of like, you just don't have that experience until you go out and, and do something. So right. learn from our mistakes. So on the, the next, uh, you know, the next product that we release, we won't make the same mistakes, but, yeah, it's not an overnight, uh, it's not an overnight process. I mean, people look at this and they're like, oh yeah, dude. I mean, it's just like, <laughs> I was like, dude, a lot of time, a lot of money went into oh, like, yeah. making, this, uh, making this possible. And there's a reason why you don't see this out there because it is a real, uh, you know, a real process to, to build out something like this. Yeah. And that's, that's the thing too, is like, especially when it comes to the software side, like there's so many different like variables, so many different, especially when it comes to like the like what you guys are doing with the skip tracing. And I mean, there's so many different entries and so many different variables and so many different yeah. things that can go wrong with yeah. one simple, one simple order. And like a lot of those, that's why I ask Cause like a lot of those you won't know until you actually try to process an order. Yeah. You know, you'll have the, the website will be done and everything like that, but one little stroke might be wrong on the API and it'll mess up yeah. everything. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Trust me, man. We've been there, done that. So we're yeah. still, you know, working out the, uh, working out the kinks. And as you know, with software, it's like the developers will go in to fix one thing, break, break something else. Yeah. And it's just sort of like a never ending, uh, you know, a never ending loop. loop, but, um, love the digital product space, man. I love the software space. You know, once you do build the product, it is there for life and it's a, uh, you know, it can be relatively low maintenance depending upon you know, the type of software you have and the upkeep and um, the recurring sticky revenue is just, just amazing. And like I said, you really can like impact so many people and just give them, you know, a phenomenal product that can change uh, their business. So there's a definitely like a all around rewards to it. And to see this come to life uh, has been, has been incredible. It's awesome, man. So I want to go back to something you said a little bit earlier, right? So um, earlier you said that, you know, you were, you, you started the wholesaling company with the idea of you're treating it like, you know, you're structuring it like one of the fortune 500 companies, which I, 
I agree with 100%. I've, you know, one of the biggest things I've always said is that too many people treat a wholesaling company like a job, yeah. right? They don't treat it like a business and like a company. So what did that look like for you, right? As far as like the structure goes, um, obviously when you first started, it was you and your partner, right? So, yeah. um, you know, I'm sure you guys laid out, you know, the org chart and everything. So what did that look like for you guys structure wise um, saying, you know, hey, we want to treat it like this. This is how we do that. Yeah. So I think the, the, the first thing was that we didn't steal income from the business right away. Right. Most people, they get their first deal. It's like the biggest amount of money that they've ever seen in their life. They're, they're sitting there with like a $20,000 check or something like that. And they go out and buy a car or yeah. something, yeah. something stupid. Right. And then they're just back to square one. So we did not do that. Right. That's the first uh, level of like treating it like a business is that you don't just go steal from the business for, to foot your own personal um, bill. We gave ourselves very nominal salaries when we quit our, our full-time job. So we would have a means to live. Um, and that was it. Everything else was, that was all operating capital. Nobody could touch that. Right. It wasn't like our personal, uh, you know, store of, of, of income. Um, Secondly, we developed systems and processes very early on, right? Anything that we could, you know, build a system or a process around so that we had repeatability because we eventually knew that it wasn't going to be us performing these jobs anymore. And we needed to have a detailed roadmap for somebody else to be able to perform these actions. And if you don't have detailed systems and processes that make the machine work, then it's going to be all you all the time. And your machine is going to constantly break because you have no real like documented flow to how things work. Mm -hmm. So people are just doing it however they want. And then you get the next guy in and he's doing it differently than the last guy. And you don't have that. Um, you don't have that, that consistency, right? Your, your stuff's all over the place because you're not doing this, the same thing the same way every single time. So if there's something that we can do the same way, uh, and have that repeatability, we're, we're going to do that. Um, mm -hmm. So that's allowed us to be able to get different people in different seats while maintaining consistently, um, constantly monitoring the effectiveness of everything that we can in the business. So looking at all sorts of different KPIs um, to, again, uh, have that consistency. A lot of people that I see in this business, man, they have no clue what their numbers are. Mm -hmm. So they're marketing sporadic. They do some marketing here and more, you know, different marketing there. And then their results are all across the board and they, they don't understand why it's like, well, you're not tracking anything that you do. So you have no clue how many leads you need to get and what your conversion looks like in order to present somebody with an offer, how many offers you have to make to get a deal. What's your deal fall through uh, rate? How many deals are you losing to attorney review? How many deals are you losing to your dispo? You don't, you don't know where the, the leaks are in your business. Right. So we're very KPI and data driven. Um, and then we just don't do the typical norm, right? Like when it, when a guru is out there telling you that you need to use this software because uh, it's just probably what they have some sort of affiliate link set up with uh, that's not going to be the driving force behind like what softwares we choose to use. It's going to be like, what's the most functional for our business? Where do we get the most bang for our buck? Uh, what has the most functionality, um, you know, like when people are like, oh, you got to go on prop stream and, and pull a list for us. It was like, well, why would we do that to support some gurus affiliate 
if it's not the actual best thing for our business, mm-hmm. companies like PropStream are just aggregating data from, yep. you know, from public record and then putting it behind a UI and charging you for it. So for us, it's like, well, instead of us paying for that because we're doing such large quantity and data be- can become expensive at large quantities, why don't we just set up our own sort of prop stream, if you will, and source the data organically. Mm-hmm. And then you have the ability to even maybe start a prop stream or a competitor product to it down the line if you want, if you already have the infrastructure built out. So things like that, you know, just trying to make like bigger business decisions. Like, and it wasn't like I was doing this because I wanted to ultimately sell the wholesale company one day. It was just that I knew if I wanted the wholesale company to be as, as good and as profitable as it could be, I needed to treat it like a real business and, and try to do, uh, you know, enterprise like uh, things in order right. to get the best results out of the business. So, um, you know, those are some of the things that, that, that we do and we just do proprietary things that make the most sense to our business that fall outside of the typical norm. And what's funny is that a lot of other high level people, when we wind up inevitably associating with them and, and kind of, trading trading knowledge and things like that they're like blown away with the with the things that we're doing and these are other high level people that are doing millions of dollars a year in wholesaling and it's just because we chose to think outside the box and not fall into stereotypical norms it was like let's think about this logically what makes the most sense for the business and then let's do that even if it's against the grain from what you know is traditionally taught I think a lot of people don't do that because it may take a little bit more time and a little bit more brain power. Sure. You know what I mean? Like it takes a little bit more effort to, to say, okay, well, this is what everybody else is doing. This is what everybody else is teaching to do. But is it the best possible scenario for us? Yeah. And instead of doing that, they're just like, yeah, let's just do it, grab it and grab it and go. I'll give you one prime example the, the, that kind of hits home on this, right? When we first started learning wholesaling, uh, first thing was we were learning that you had to send somebody out to the property, which was a big limitation. And then eventually we came across somebody who was teaching that was doing it entirely virtually. Right. So they were doing it all over the phone, making the offers, the whole nine yards, which was great. Right. It changed the trajectory of our business. We were like, Hey, this is a better model. We need to pivot into this. But one of the things that that person was doing and what a lot of people do is that they have their acquisitions people spew out offers over the phone, right? They're already on the, they're, they're like looking stuff up on the MLS or prop stream or whatever. And they're, they're pitching out offers right there over the phone because that's what's taught. And nobody thought, is that really the best way to do this? And so what we realized when we were doing that was that our acquisitions people did not have the knowledge base to be able to whip up offers that are accurate on the fly. I don't think anybody does. I mean, I could sit there on the phone with somebody and be trying to look up comps mm-hmm. and, and generate an offer right then and there. And I'm not going to have a good, accurate offer. And what that means right. for you and wholesaling is that you're leaving money on the table because you're either offering too much or too little on 90% of your deals. And if you're offering too much, you're leaving money on the table. If you're offering too little, you're probably not getting the deal, especially in a competitive market like we've been in. So you're losing money there. So what we did was instead of that, we hired a full-time underwriter. So we changed our process so that we could collect all the information up front. 
send that information over to an underwriter who would evaluate the deal similarly to like how things are done in, in bigger business and commercial, right? You're not just whipping out an offer to right. somebody over the phone. You're, you're doing a detailed analysis of the property. You're underwriting it and you're coming back with an offer. That's what we do in wholesaling, right? So we have somebody who specializes in evaluating and analyzing property so we can make the most detailed and accurate offers possible. And what did that do? It led to us securing way more deals at way better margins. Yeah, did we have to hire an extra person? Sure, but the, the salary and, and, and commission that we pay that person versus the deal volume that we're able to collect because of the accuracy is breadcrumbs, right? So right. things like that, where it's like you have to think about something logically and then choose a different path that makes more sense, even if it's not with the social norm that, you know, whoever's teaching the subject is, is teaching. It's funny. We actually, we have the same position on ours, on ours too. We, yeah. we have the same, you know, we have a full-time underwriter that they go in, they run all the numbers to where acquisitions hop in and the only, they have yeah. to click one button uh, right. and, and they know what the offer is. To me, it's just it's just a better model, man. And, and the same thing when we started doing Matterports, I like to think we really did pioneer the use of 3D Matterports in wholesaling. I can't tell you that I met a single person before us that was doing 3D Matterports. Everybody was taking pictures and then hosting property showings. And I was like, dude, there's got to be a better way than this. And it yeah. was like, if we do a 3D Matterport tour, we can send this tour out and have every single buyer in our list tour this property instead of the 20 or 30 that are going to show up to the showing because all the rest of them have conflicts and they can't get out there. And when we started doing that, Again, complete boost in sales because now instead of having your offers limited to 10, 20 people that come out and view the house, everybody can view the house. So mm -hmm. automatically getting way more offers, prices are getting bid up and we're making more money. And then lo and, and behold, it costs an extra like what? A couple hundred bucks. Yeah. I mean, you're already, it's cost you less money because yeah. you pay for the camera one time and you have somebody go out there and, and do the, the filming. You were going to have to have somebody go out there to take pictures of the house and to host the showing anyways. Mm -hmm. So you're spending the same amount of money, if not less, uh, and you're making way more money. So it was, again, thinking about it logically, right. thinking that there had to be a better way to do it. And here's the thing, man, it's crazy. But since we started doing that, I've seen so many people pivot into doing that now. And now everybody's marketing <laughs> that I see going out has Matterport links. And uh, honestly, we, we really did pioneer that. That's awesome, man. Yeah, no, I love that, man. I think that's that's a, a huge like key takeaway there is just, you know, think about things outside the box. I, I, I like to think that we do that as well. We, we like to I like to, you know, think through things logically rather than yeah. just you know, what is so-and-so pushing or what's, you know, what's 50 other people, you know, doing. Cause at the yeah. end of the day, if I'm doing the same thing as my competition, I'm probably getting the same results. Exactly, man. Yeah. You know, 100%. So, uh, well, Corey, man, it was, it was good. We're wrapping up on our time here. So um, what's uh, what's one last thing you want to kind of leave everybody with, and then we'll sign off. Oh man, just, just be relentless in your pursuit. Everybody that's watching this, regardless of where you're at and you're in your life or in business right now, continue to, uh, to strive and push the limits and you will be successful. If you just literally wake up every day and you live in America and you try and you stay healthy, you have no choice, but to be, be successful here. So, um, get up every morning and try and you will be a success. Boom. Love it, man. 
Corey, I appreciate you hopping on with us today, man. Um, guys, that's it for today's episode. Mr. Corey Reed, if you guys have any questions, be sure to follow Corey on Instagram. Hit him up there. Um, be yep, sure to I'm, uh, I'm at Corey Charles Reed on Instagram. And for anybody that's watching this that has a wholesaling company and needs to do skip tracing and wants to do it the right way, check us out, skipcloud.io. Show your boy some love. There we go. All right, guys, make sure you tune in next Monday, 1 p.m. Eastern time. We'll have another great episode lined up for you guys. That's it for today. Peace.